0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to edition number four of the Racing Beat Podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Jerry Bunkowski. It's my pleasure to welcome the man known as the Budweiser King and the King of Speed, Kenny Bernstein, to this week's show. This is a particularly poignant episode with the NHRA season-opening Gator Nationals coming up next week in Gainesville, Florida. And it was 29 years ago on March 20th, 1992, that Kenny Bernstein became the first driver to ever break the 300-mile-per-hour mark in the quarter-mile. ...in NHRA competition in his Top Fuel Dragster. Kenny talked about that spectacular day and much more in our interview. So let's get this edition of the Racing Beat Podcast going with Kenny, the King Bernstein. Kenny, uh, first of all, thanks ever so much for joining us on the Racing Beat Podcast. It's great to see you. You're looking great, looking fantastic. Cheryl's looking fantastic. Tell me about what's keeping you guys busy these days. I mean, you know, the drag racing is in the back, is in the rearview mirror, but I know you guys still are real busy. you got a lot of the activities you're involved in and all that kind of thing. What's, what's keeping you busy these days?
0: Well, thank you for having me, Jerry. I appreciate it very much. It's good to see you. It's been a long time. Well, we, we're pretty busy. We spend about six months of the year in Colorado in the summertime. We're not too much into the snow program. <laughs> so we, we come back to California in the wintertime where the weather's a lot nicer, obviously, than out there. Although the snow is great, I'm sure, it's just not for me. But uh, Colorado is a lot of fun for us because it's a complete outside state, as you would imagine. I mean, there's hiking, there's biking, there's fishing, there's side-by-side riding and certainly golfing and exercising outside, bicycle riding outside. It's just really a wonderful place with a lot of things going on. Uh, very close to where we are Cheryl's family grew up and she grew up and they live in Grand Junction Colorado the western slope Mm -hmm. and we spend a lot of time between Grand Junction and and Aspen we have places uh, we don't have a place up there we've had property in the past up there we have a lot of friends up there and a really good golf course so we go back and forth up there quite a bit so we're quite busy in the summertime the winters are, are great too because we get to come back to the west coast side the weather's usually good we play a lot of golf here our exercise never stops we do that almost every single day um, but, but as far as back in California, that's pretty much, we have some things to do here. A lot of friends, things like that, but the real activity is summertime back in
1: Colorado. It's the most fun. You know, you, you're, you're 76 years old. You could easily paint for 50 right now, bro. Well, I
0: appreciate that. I, I don't know if I feel that way, but I sure, I'll take it. <laughs>
1: Do you, do you have any involvement whatsoever, you know, in, in drag racing areas? I mean, do you, do you go to some races a year? I mean, do you, do you talk to some of the teams? I mean, what what kind of involvement if you have any, uh, do you have an HRA still? Oh,
0: no, I don't have much anymore at all. about a little bit. And I'll kind of give this the story on that. Uh, I, I have spoken with Peter Clifford and, and, and the group up there from time to time through the past few years. Uh, not so much in the last year or so, because it's been, as you know, uh, pretty much on, on hold, so to speak. So mm-hmm. I haven't spoken to him in a while. I've had s- several calls from uh, some of the other owners and drivers through the years, uh, basically asking questions, if, especially on the sponsorship side of things, how to get them, right. which is very difficult, obviously, as you know. And so some of those things like that, uh, still involved with it to some degree uh, for quite a while with Brandon, my son, who basically was running a, 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 a team of five funny uh, uh, cars program with a The guys from over in Cutter. And so he he was running that deal. And now Brandon has gone on, which I think is wonderful. And he's uh, now uh, gone to work for Lucas Oil Company and Forrest Lucas and Morgan, who are are just tremendous people and great friends of ours. And Brandon's working there. He's in charge of uh, uh, all the sponsorships and things like that, which is right up uh, his alley. That's Mm -hmm. where he basically learned the most from. So it's good to see him back in there, good. So I'm a little bit more close to hearing what's going on now because he's involved so much with it too.
1: Two part question. Do you ever get the urge to get back in a race car or do you ever get the urge to be involved you know, in a, a, a spot, I mean, an ownership deal or something like that at all?
0: Well, let's talk the first one first. The urge to get back in a race car and it never has left. It will <laughs> never leave, believe me. Uh, that was something that I loved so much to do. And I, from the time I was 13 years old, I mean, I was into cars from that early age. I drove a, a half midget in those days. Uh, on the round tracks and because uh, there were no go-karts yet they came along a little bit later than that but I was so exposed to the racing and sports in general in my growing up era in Lubbock Texas area I just uh, that's what you did there you had a hot rod when you were in high school that's what it was about so I've always had the urge to drive race cars They've, it's never waned whatsoever uh, even when I quit driving uh, I, I missed it so badly at times I, I had a hard time standing on that starting line, believe me, watching. So it was tough. To answer the second part of that question is, do I have any desire to uh, drive again? Let's, first. Let's talk about that one first. Those, those thoughts come and go, as you would imagine, as time progresses. Uh, certainly 12 or 13, 14 years ago when I stepped away, I missed it tremendously. Uh, Brandon, as you know, got hurt with a broken back and I went back in and and that, be honest about it, I, I, I hate, of course, that he got hurt by any means or anyone for that matter, but certainly Brandon. But I have to tell you that when I got back in that car, then I realized how much I had really missed the driving part of the car. And uh, boy, I had a wonderful time that that three quarters of that season too, doing it. And uh, so consequently, yes, I've always had those thoughts. I thought a few years ago, I could still do it. And I probably feel like I could do it now. But the the time has passed me by. I would like to start over again if we know how to do that, Jerry. If you could figure that out for us, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, no, as far as owning a team or being involved with it, no, not for me. Uh, I, I've been there, uh, you know, 40 years of the sport, one in one way or the other. Whether it was just driving for some some people or my own cars, and as an owner and driver, uh, no, I don't think I would enjoy that. Uh, Again, a few years ago, if someone asked me to go drive a top-rate car with Alan Johnson, I would have been there in about two seconds, yes, sir, very quickly. It wouldn't have, ma- it wouldn't have taken long to make that decision. But no, I don't have any desire for that. And as far as being involved with the sport uh, from the organization side, I'm always there to help anyone, anywhere I can. Uh, I, I, I have no problem with anybody calling me, wanting to discuss or talk about anything. I don't know the answers I can give to them nowadays, because I've been out of the sport for a while. But it's still... It still boils down to the same thing when it comes to racing, and that is sponsorship money and giving the sponsor more than they pay for. That's what it boils down to. It always will boil down to that. And from that side, I can at least express that information to some people, and I have in the past, and and always willing to by all means.
1: Can you can you wrap your head around the fact that it's been fourteen years since you climbed out of a race car? I don't want to make it feel old, you know. But I mean, (laughs) no,
0: no, it's not that. You know, it's funny because there's times I think it feels just like yesterday. And then there's times that I think, wow, that was a long time ago, you know, <laughs> I mean, holy cow, 14 years. And it's really difficult to kind of put it in perspective at times. It really is. Sometimes I'll, I'll have my thoughts back on things that we accomplished and got done as a tremendous team. And, and I'm very happy and, and proud that I got to do that. But at the same time, I go, man, could we just rerun this thing a little bit? go back to 20 years old and start over again <laughs> it would be nice
1: exactly the um you know a lot of your peers you know the don don Perdome, um, joe yeah. amato they they all kind of retired around the same time you did uh, give or take a few years yep. um amato walked away entirely from it selzy he's still involved somewhat in racing with his sons you know they're they're in, yep. the, in the dirt, dirt world Perdome yes. is still doing the, um, the you know the off-road stuff he you know he races in the mexican 1000 have you ever thought about maybe racing in a different series, maybe just you know, any kind of a competition kind of thing at all or, or not?
0: No, not really. I've never much thought too much about that. Uh, those To just go do it as a hobby or to just have fun, that's a, that's a tough game. You want to be good at what you do. And so to be good, you've got to take time in the seat, and it, and it takes time to do that. I know Don loves going out and running that desert thing. He's, he, he called me one time it. I said, you got to be crazy. I'm not interested at all. He said, well, i will fix you up a car and everything. I said, no, man, I don't want any part of it. I said, be my luck. I, I get stranded out in the, in the Mexican desert there and be lost forever. You know? So I said, you go ahead and have some fun for both of us. And on Amado's side, you're right about that, Joe. Joe walked away, and, and I've kind of found that that's the feeling that I had in the beginning, too. Uh, to just go hang around at the drag strip and not be an owner or a driver isn't, isn't my, my thought of a great day, you follow me? It's so great. I, know, I know Amato felt the same way. And so the easiest way for both of us, really, and honestly is just not be exposed to it. Only when it happens to take place, someone would like to ask you a question or something happens, and it's every once in a while, it's great to go back and see the, the, the people. That, that's the one thing I miss if anything. Are, are not, only the, not only the fans, to be honest about it, but also the people, our family that we grew up with and we've known for so long. But I know how Amato feels about it. He's, he's just like me. He'll go take care of it every now and then when it's necessary or when he wants to. But it's not something he wants to go do every day. We've got a lot of other things to do.
1: Right. You know, there was a a very famous TV commercial came out a few years ago. It was uh, from Dodge and then with a guy, you know, is at a traffic light? And the one guy in the other car says, hey, you got is it a Hemi in there or something something to that effect? So I got to ask you this. When Kenny Bernstein, (laughs) since he's retired, he's gotten to a traffic light. When that light has gone green, have you ever had the the urge to say, heck with it? Boom, let's hit it.
0: I've not only had the urge, I've done it. Not just the urge, but Jerry, believe me, I, I still love cars tremendously. That's some of my my wonderful passion. Is uh, my wife Cheryl, of course, and cars and golfing. I, I guess those three are the top of my category. But so I've always got some type of a hot rod, so to speak. Like right now, I'm, I'm fortunate to have this new uh, Mustang uh, Shelby GT500 Mustang, the one nice, with, uh, nice with 760 horsepower in it, and uh, it makes a lot of noise. And it is very difficult to stay out of the accelerator with that car, trust me. And yet I have gone up to many stoplights. I catch myself practicing on the stoplights because I used to do it all my my life early. I would go to a stoplight and I'd sit there and stare at that light, that red light on that that bulb until it turned green and then hit the throttle just as quick and fast as I could, just like I was in a race car, right? Mm And I actually practice that way all the time, because all it is is your eye and your brain working together when it's time to push that down. So wherever you do it or however you do it, it obviously helps you. It gives you you know, some kind of uh, continuity on what the process is. So I catch myself still today of getting next to that, that light, just like you said. And having my foot on the throttle and one on the brake and just waiting for that light to turn green and hit it
1: i <laughs> so, love it i love it good.
0: I and it never never fails So you're right about this with the mustang the, the, the shelby everybody wants to race the shelby that we come up to a light too so if the if the good old uh, red-eye dodge comes up beside me we're probably going to get it on
1: <laughs> just, just watch out for the cops around there. that's the only oh, thing
0: absolutely yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't have a chance because one it makes a lot of noise, and it's bright red, Budweiser red. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you're a target right there.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but you're oh. right. Those now, those feelings never go away. I don't think they ever go away no ha- matter what happens. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Now you and I we've known each other for well over 30 years. Right. You've had so many career highlights and you know you've done so much. You start, I mean a lot of people I don't think really know that you actually started in the restaurant business with the yeah. Chelsea Street pub. Then you you still had this goal of being a full-time drag racer. You sold your interest in that and then you became a full-time drag racer. Uh, when you look back at your career, what are, let's say, the three top highlights of your career that, you know, you are the most proud of the, the uh, things that you accomplished?
0: Well, first of all, I, that's, that's hard to put into just three or four. I'll tell you, we've been fortunate to have a tremendous amount of success. But I have to start, I think, in the first place, it really goes back to the way I was raised from my, my family and my father in particular, a businessman who really drilled me on the side of business my entire young adult life. And I worked in the department stores with him all the time. So I got a good idea of how you take care of customers, meaning sponsors too, the same difference. I always consider the sponsors as, as customers. So that, that's number one. Number two would be the opportunity that was given to me by Dan Brown in Austin, Texas, the Budweiser host there who got me in the door in St. Louis and became part you know sponsored by Budweiser for 30 years. I think that's still the longest ongoing sponsorship in the business. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, that was obviously tremendous. And then I owe a ton of gratitude to the fans themselves and especially my teammates that I had through the years in all forms of racing we were in, the NASCAR, uh, drag racing, and the IndyCar teams, but particularly drag racing because that's what I did, as you know. And obviously without great team, great crew chiefs through the years, Dale Armstrong, Ray Alley, uh, Tim Richards, uh, there's uh, Smith, there's just a bunch of guys that, were there that made this thing happen. But in particular, the, the, those people were the ones that gave me the opportunity to, to, to have success because they they tuned the cars, made them go fast and, and quick, and that's what it's all about. Then you gotta go to the performance side of what you're asking, the biggest question, of course. And there's there's always will be one that's just above all, no matter what you say. Fortunate for, for championships, by all means, no question winning, I think, 69 races in the entire career. But the one thing was uh, March 18th, uh, March 20th, 1992, uh, 300 miles an hour in in Gainesville, uh, Florida, which happened to be one of our favorite racetracks anyway. We had actually broke the 260 barrier there a couple of years before in the funny car, of all things. But then the 300 in 1992 to this day. In fact, it's still amazing, Jerry, to see how many people remember that that you would not even think they even know who you are i'm not racing fans i'm talking about walking out to the golf course and some guy says there's the king of speed so get your attention
1: yeah exactly now we're i was going to ask you about that about gainesville i mean the season starts the new the 2021 nhra season starts in a week or so uh down there and it's obviously going to be the anniversary of you hitting 300. um when you look back at that that run, I remember you telling me a couple of years ago that you were actually uh, kind of upset because the, the the guy at the end of the track raised up three fingers, and you thought you qualified third. Can you tell me yeah. about that?
0: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, the run was good. Uh, it's, it, you can't tell the difference between 296 and 300. You follow me? And these mm-hmm. cars, they're going fast. That's all you knew. I just knew it was a good run because it pulled the entire quarter mile. And usually when it did that, we always ran a lot of mile per hour. So I was hoping I had no idea. Never, we never even discussed it before that run that this was going to be the run. It caught us all completely off guard. So anyway, I get through the quarter mile and I'm coasting down to make the turn off to the right hand side where they stop you there and pick up your parachute for us, help you get out of the car and all that. And everybody's, I noticed everybody's going crazy, and I don't understand what the deal was, but I knew it was a good run. I said that's probably number one right there. That should have been number one. And this guy holds up three fingers, one of the workers, and I, my first thought was he. we were qualified number three, and I was really disappointed because I said, man, that was a lot better than that. And he reached in and pounded me on the chest and said, you just ran 300. <laughs> and i understood what the three meant and about that time steve evans who was the the tv guy that was doing interviews he was telling everybody don't say a word don't say a word to him don't tell him don't tell him anything And in the meantime this guy had already told me <laughs>
1: <laughs> right now, now dale your croochy, dale armstrong yes. um uh, you told me also that that he, he didn't look at the speed he looked only at the time and then he yeah. walked away he was upset too
0: Yeah, both of of us really were were just lost, evidently, for a few seconds there. Dale saw the elapsed time up there, which was a record, okay, and turned around and walked away from that and was really happy, and and the next thing you know, the crew's jumping on his back and turning him around, and one of them, Mike Guger, points to the sign 30170, and that's what Dale found out that we broke the record and, and, and had broke the 300 barrier, so we both were extremely excited and and concerned at the time one or the other we didn't know what really happened one was misled and the the three fingers and the other one never bothered to look at the mile per hour on the boards
1: (laughs) (laughs) now you know i want to talk to a little bit more about nhra but you you raised a, a a couple of words there earlier i wanted to ask about One of the things about Kenny Bernstein is he was one of the biggest fan favorites in the sport, still is to this day. Thank you so much. I mean, do you still get recognized today? And, you know, just the interaction with the fans. I mean, what is it like today when people recognize you and, you know, start conversing with you saying that, oh, I remember this or I remember that you were a great driver, all that. I mean, do you still get that a lot today?
0: Get it some, not as much as, as, as in the past, by any means. That went on pretty good the first four or five years, but I still get it. And it always amazes me, it really surprises and amazes me because it happens at the, at a, in a place or an area that you wouldn't even think anyone would know who you are. Let me give you the quickest example. Cheryl and I were in uh, in Wyoming a couple of years ago, uh, in the summertime, of course, and we were walking up and down the streets doing our exercise, and we're walking back towards the hotel, okay, and this guy walks by me and gets about 10 or 15 yards behind me and turns around and says, Kenny Bernstein, king of speed, what are you doing? (laughs) It was a local that lived there. We don't live there. We were just visiting for two days, and here's this guy at 730 in the morning walking the opposite direction and stops as he passes me and says those words to me, I just blew me, blew me away. I said, I'm doing this fine, but he's just here enjoying the weather. And then I told Show, I said, I can't even, understand. how would this guy ever know who we were? We're not even dressed in Budweiser outfit right now. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: you know, it's funny because Mark Martin, I asked him the same question a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was doing a piece for NASCAR.com. And yeah. he said recently, um, he didn't tell me where, but he said he recently pulled his motorhome into a truck stop to gas up. And as he was gassing up the uh, the trucker in the lane next over, he says, hey, Mark, how are you doing these days? I mean, you know, that has to make you feel good that people still you know remember you, recognize you, all that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it does. There's no question about it. And I, I, I can't even believe it. I shake my head, like I said. I, it just blows you away because you don't even think about those things. And the next thing you know, some guy's talking to you and, and, and knows more about you than you know about you. <laughs>
1: Exactly, exactly. All right, let's talk about NHRA. Um, Obviously, you had a great career. Last year was a very difficult year for everybody in the sport. I mean, races got canceled. uh, Fans could not attend a lot of the races. NHRA did the best it could under the circumstances. I got to give them a lot of credit for that. When, when, When we were going through that entire COVID thing, you know, from March when it started until the end of the season, what was Kenny Bernstein thinking about, about how NHRA was, you know, approaching this, how they managed to get through the season. They managed to get a you know, a championship, uh, champion's crowned, all that kind of thing. I mean, what were your thoughts as that whole, I mean, we're still involved in COVID right now, obviously, but I mean, just from March until November, how, how did, how, how do you observe or how did you observe how the sport kind of played out?
0: Well, I think they did a great job considering everything they had to deal with. I mean, mm-hmm. my it's me when the, the world closes down and the businesses stop. And people can't travel and they can't go and congregate with each other and enjoy uh, the sport of racing or anything for that matter it was tough on everything and everybody uh, i don't know how they survived it they did a great job to survive it in my opinion they did the best they could i think is correct just like you said and putting on the races that they were able to put on and continue on with the season as best they could And I thought they patchworked it together to much as good as they could. Nothing's going to be perfect in situations like that. Whatever you do is not gonna be totally right all the time, but you gotta do something and do the best you can. And I think they did. Now, hopefully this year they'll get get a little relief. Hopefully the uh, pandemic will settle down. The shots will be taken by everybody so we can get this thing a little under control and go back to work. And I'm sure that they'll be able to continue right on then as they always have been. But in the meantime, there's still work to be done. This is not going to be an easy, easy, easy season either if it, by any means.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, we we'll, we'll obviously they, they had to postpone Pomona this, you know, the yep. traditional season opener, they had to cancel the Phoenix race, which, you know, is obviously a big one, but at the same time, if there's a, a good thing that came out of the first two races being canceled is it's their season starts in Gainesville. I mean, I can't think of a better place maybe other than Indianapolis to start a season. So for them to start the season in Gainesville, and I just talked to a couple of people at NHRA in the last couple of days, they're all excited. They know the fans are excited. There are going to be fans you know, uh, at, the, at the track. Uh, you know, Everybody's excited. I think that we're ready to all bust out, if you will, in terms <laughs> of excitement because of what we went through last year.
0: No question about it. Everybody's uh, tired of being cooped up, tired of being locked down. I, and no surprise in California was not shut down. This whole state's been shut down since last March. It's just now starting to get its, its head open again a little bit out here. So in Phoenix, Phoenix was the same thing. They were, they were in real trouble over there with the pandemic also. No better place in the world, period, than Gainesville, Florida to start as far as I'm concerned. Number one, it's the first race, has always been the first race on the East Coast in the wintertime, because it's beautiful down there, and it's 60 degrees most of the time, and it's gorgeous. And everybody from the East Coast Northeast wants to come down to Florida. So it's a good excuse to all come down there. So Greensville has always been tremendously successful, I think, because it is the first one on the East Coast in March. And I think it's a great place to start it out, much better than any other place, to be honest about it, because they can, if they could pack the place, they would, okay, period. And that's the key to it. They can do it. There's not much going on in Gainesville in, in March, so it's a good time to be there.
1: Now, obviously, a lot of things are still uncertain, but, I mean, have you thought about if, you know what kind of races you might go to? I mean, you're gonna, are you planning on going to a couple of races this year at all, just to, as a spectator?
0: Uh, I'm sure we will. I haven't thought too much about it at this time, uh, you know, but we usually get to a couple. I hope to be able to go back to the Indy race only because that's where Brandon lives. That's where the grandkids are. I hate to admit we haven't seen him in a couple of years, a year and a half since all this stuff has started. And so consequently, we would like to go back there, but I'm not gonna go if it's not safe. I'm not gonna be crazy about it. So, you know, I, I'm not the kind that's gonna go jump into the first hotel that you can find because I, I feel like we all have to still be safe no matter what takes place
1: here for a few more months. Kenny Bernstein, grandfather. I'm a yeah. grandfather too. I mean, I'm still, I still can't get over it. I mean, how many- grand- I can't either. <laughs> How many grandkids do you have? With, with with How many kids does Brandon have? That's two. He has to have one boy, one girl,
0: one stand, one seven. And, wow. Wow. They're uh, growing up in a hurry, let me tell you. They sure
1: are, yeah. I, I, I can't get over Kenny Bernstein, grandfather. Come on. was <laughs> hey, <Tom's> flying by. <laughs> That's right, exactly. You know, one of the things, you know, you were among the, the top stars of the sport for you know, in the '70s, the eight, or the '80s, the '90s, and you know, uh, even into the 2000s, but you know, you retired, Prudhomme retired, Garlitz essentially retired, Amato retired, Sel- Selzy retired, but there's still a lot of guys in the sport right now who are getting up in age. I mean, you know, it's no no secret. Uh, we're going to probably see a lot of them retiring in the next right. three to five years, probably. What is that going to uh, platform? Are they going to leave for the sport, you know, going forward? I mean, with you know, I know there's still a lot of young kids out there that aspire to be, you know, in NHRA, but of course, like you've said before, sponsorship takes you and know, takes a good team, takes good equipment, all that kind of thing. What, where do you see the future of the NHRA with a lot of these guys potentially retiring in the next three to five years, probably?
0: Well, I think everybody pretty much understands that. No one person or a couple of three people make the sport stay there forever. There's always turnover in any sport and there's always new ones that come in and take the place of the guys that did retire and continued on. The question is how much racing is there gonna be in the next few years and how many people are gonna be able to participate because of the dollars it takes to do it and to do it as best you can. Those are questions that I certainly can't answer. I think it will continue on as long as we have gasoline and oil (laughs) and maybe it'll go on i guess with electric cars i suppose but it sure won't be very noisy will it
1: (laughs) well you know it's funny you should say that because i was talking to somebody from nhra yesterday and he did say that they are uh going full steam ahead in testing and developing an electric car and one of the first things i said to him i says well how are you going to replace the sound you've got to have the sound you know but I mean, do you, do you see, I mean, seriously, do you see electric cars, you know, potentially being uh, eventually one day maybe taken over from the gas-powered cars?
0: Well, it's hard to say what's going to happen the way the world's going right now. But uh, if they do finally get to a point where the, the uh, electric is obviously the the most important thing there is and, and gasoline engine cars are, you know, pretty much passed back into the background, so to speak, then if you want to stay in business, you have to adapt to that, whatever it is. And, uh, right. If I'm NHRA and I'm sitting there and I want to, I think there's still money to be made and a sport that can continue on. If it's an electric car, then you got to go that way if that's what you think. And if that's what it's taken, I don't know how the public would take on how they feel about electric cars and, and drag racing, making no noise. And for NASCAR too, they've got the same problem. They'll have to be faced with the same thing too when the time comes and, and will they, they start racing electric cars. You know what I'm saying? Right. I I, I hope that's a long time off. and, I don't think, God forbid, I I don't think I'll be around when all that takes place, but the bottom line is everything continues to go forward. as as you know, and consequently, that all businesses have to adapt to whatever it is that the customer wants.
1: You know, we talked about highlights in your career. What is the funniest story that you can remember from your career? Maybe it may not even have happened on the racetrack. You know, maybe uh, away from the racetrack. What's the funniest story that Kenny Bernstein can recall about his life?
0: Oh, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's been a lot of them. I don't have one. I'm thinking right now in a hurry, trying to come up with some idea of what would be the funniest, but, uh, I don't really have one. There's always been a lot of them that's, that's happened through the years. I I think in the early days when we were teenagers, there were probably lots of funny ones in those days. I, this was funny. I'll tell you one that was funny, but, but it wasn't funny as it turned out, but it was funny afterwards. Okay. It's one of those. The first time I, actually the second time I ever drove a dragster. Okay. Front engine car in those days. Okay. The motor's in front of the driver. You sit behind it. Right. And It was my first run in this car. We had just built it with a uh, Wayne Wilder and Ace Muffler out of Dallas, Texas. It was their car. And uh, we were going to Green Valley in Fort Worth, Texas to race the car that day. And when you came into Green Valley, you actually passed the end of the racetrack to come down and into the pit area. And at the end of the racetrack, there were three nets set up because it was a very short racetrack and a lot of trees around it. And they had these nets set up. So if you had a problem, you ran into the nets and basically would stop you from going into the trees that were just a very few feet away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I was riding in with a good friend of mine, Randy Pumphrey. Actually, Randy was my, my partner in Chelsea street when we started. And then I carried on and he stayed in Lubbock, Texas and just took care of that one. That was his, mm-hmm. but anyway, Randy was in the car with me and Randy said, well, I hope I he said, I'll pick you up down here in about an hour or two pointing at the nets as we went by the end of the racetrack. And I said, well, that's a hell of a thing to say, Randy. I don't really want to be in there. He says, OK. So we go in. We're just kidding around, right? The very first run, the very first run, I think I ran 185, 90 miles an hour. So I'm calm, cool, and collected. I reach over. And in those days, you pull the parachute with your hand. It was a D-ring you pulled. So I just reached over, and I pulled that D-ring. Nothing happened. So I reached over and pulled the other D-ring. And then i figured out i better get on the brakes but it was way too late because i was already on top of the hill and the nets were looking right at me and oh. i'm still going 140 50 miles an hour and so i said well the only thing i can do is they said drive to the nets my buddy waitus simpson said you if you get up there in trouble go for the nets don't go anywhere else i drive through the nets i went through two nets and ended up upside down on the, underneath the second net it stopped me finally and i'm upside down and i'm, I'm upside down I can't get the the belt seat belts loose because all my weight is against the the seat belt Mm -hmm. and it was one of those pull open kind and I couldn't pull it open. And I'm up there and and it's real quiet except the motors crackling crackling and crackling. I says, man. I've, I've lived through all this. I don't I don't have anything wrong. And now I'm going to burn to death because I can't get out of this damn race car. Oh, and man. so I finally undid it and fell out on the ground. And by that time, everybody was there for me. So I told my buddy Randy, I said, don't you ever say that to me again, ever. He jinxed you is what he did. <laughs> very first run on the car.
1: That's great. You know, one other thing I wanted to ask you before before the final thoughts I had, your, your nickname, The King, that has to make you feel very proud. I mean, obviously it was related to, to Budweiser, but... I, Right. You know, to be known as the king for all these years that has to make you feel really good
0: it really does and i i was i was just so happy and so fortunate to to get the budweiser program for those people to be so uh, supportive of us for all the you know 30 tremendous years and boy it was great because everything lined up it was so funny i'll never forget you had the chelsea king okay which was chelsea street pub the chelsea king was actually a gigantic sandwich we made in the pub <laughs> It was called the Chelsea King because it was a a giant sandwich. It was a specialty. So when I named the first funny car before I got Bud Chelsea King, then I got Budweiser. I said, well, this makes sense. Budweiser King, man. So when I told Jack McDonough, the the head guy with the marketing department of of St. Louis and Budweiser at the time, I said, I want to put Budweiser King on the side of the car, not just Budweiser. He said, well, why would you want to do that? I said, because everyone relates to cars. Cars have names. And there's nothing better than the King of Beers and Budweiser King. And he says, makes sense to me. So it just all fell into place. So when, when we ran the 300, then King of Speed was easy to pick up at that stage of the game by any means. So it was just a, all worked out well,
1: believe Great. me. Great. Final question for you, Kenny, and you've been so generous. Uh, the one thing is we've sailed through all my questions. I thought we'd be doing this <laughs> like for 45 minutes, but we have sailed through. But you, you are always a pro's pro, so I always appreciate oh talking God. to you. Thank is, you. Is there anything we haven't talked about? You know, again, obviously, we're going to have a lot of fans listening to this. Anything we haven't talked about, either about your career, your life, where you're at now, that you would want to, you know, relate to the fans, to the listeners, that is important for you to to kind of speak to them, if you will?
0: Well, I really want to tell the fans, in all honesty and from my heart, how much I appreciate the support we had for the 40 years in doing this game and 30 years with Budweiser and then with Copart also, for that matter. The fans were what made it happen if they don't buy the tickets, NHRA doesn't exist and we're not there. So, and the sponsors are not there if they, didn't, they don't think that they can sell their products to the fans. So the fans are very important to our sport and they motivate us and keep us going. I can't say enough, again, back to the, all my teammates that I've had across the board that worked for me through the years. They were tremendous, all of them, even the ones that maybe didn't work out for us, they're still good people. The bottom line was, without those people, it would have never happened. And i got to thank, in all honesty, Cheryl, my wife, who basically, when she came, became involved with me, she picked up the ropes and really ran with a ton of stuff on the business. She was part of this, this package team. And Susie Arnold and all the other people that were with us, all our secretaries, Christine, everybody that has ever been with us through the years, without any of that whole package, this would have never happened and we would never be where we are today. And I just want to thank
1: everyone for that very much. Well, Kenny, I want to thank you ever so much for taking the time here. I really, I always enjoy talking with you, and I've really enjoyed this. And um, I can't thank you enough. Uh, stay safe out there. You're looking yes, great. girl's looking you. great. Stay, stay safe you. out there. We'll talk to you later, then, okay? Thank you very much. Yes, okay, sir. Take care Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That's going to put a wrap on this week's edition of the Racing Beat podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. Thanks to our guest, Kenny, the King Bernstein. And next week, in preparation for the NHRA season opening Gator Nationals, in Gainesville, Florida, we'll be talking with NHRA President Glenn Cromwell. And if you missed them, check out our previous podcast with Ray Evernham, Don the Snake Perdom, and Rusty Wallace, as well as interviews with Mark Martin and Marcus Ambrose. Check them out at believe.com, That's B-L-E-A-V.com And enter The Racing Beat in the search box, and it'll take you right to where all those podcasts and interviews are. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Jerry Bunkowski, and we'll catch you next week on The Racing Beat.